shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Lord, we thank you that we are found together this evening, gathered in this place, and we pray in your mercy that you will draw in with us, that you will speak to us through your word, and that we will rejoice in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, we're going to sing hymn number 664. 664. Come, thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy, never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious measure, Sung by flaming tongues above, oh, the vast, the boundless treasure of my Lord's unchanging love. Number 664. <coughs>
God's Word together, and this evening it is in Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 25. Now, it's a long chapter, so we won't read it all, but we're going to begin reading at verse 8 through to verse 13, and then we'll pick it up again at verse 25 through to verse 38. So, Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 8, as we hear God's Word together. And thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years unto thee, seven times seven years, and the space of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be unto thee forty and nine years. Then thou shalt cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. In the day of atonement shall ye make the trumpet sound throughout all your land. And ye shall hallow the fiftieth year, and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you, and you shall return every man unto his possession, and you shall return every man unto his family. A jubilee shall that fiftieth year be unto you. Ye shall not sow, neither reap that which groweth of itself in it, nor gather the grapes in it of thy vine undressed, for it is the jubilee. It shall be holy unto you. You shall eat the increase thereof out of the field. In the year of this jubilee, you shall return every man into his possession. And then picking it up at verse 25. If thy brother be waxen poor and hath sold away some of his possession, and if any of his kin come to redeem it, then shall he redeem that which his brother sold. And if the man have none to redeem it, and he himself be able to redeem it, then let him count the years of the sale thereof, and restore the overplus unto the man whom, to whom he sold it, that he may return unto his possession. But if he be not able to restore it to him, then that which is sold shall remain in the hand of him that bought it until the year of Jubilee. And in the Jubilee it shall go out, and he shall return into his possession. And if a man sell a dwelling house in a walled city, then he may redeem it within a whole year after it is sold. Within a full year he may redeem it. And if it be not redeemed <coughs> within the space of a full year, then the house that is in the walled city shall be established forever to him that bought it throughout his generations. It shall not go out in the jubilee. But the houses of the villages which have no wall round about them shall be counted as the fields of the country. They may be redeemed, and they shall go out into the jubilee. Notwithstanding the cities of the Levites and the houses of the cities of their possession, may the Levites redeem at any time. And if a man purchase of the Levites, then the house that was sold and the city of his possession shall go out in the year of Jubilee. For the houses of the cities of the Levites are their possession among the children of Israel. But the field of the suburbs of their cities may not be sold, for it is their perpetual possession. And if thy brother be waxen poor and fallen in decay with thee, then thou shalt relieve him. Yea, though he be a stranger or a sojourner, that he may live with thee. Take thou no usury of him, or increase, but fear thy God, that thy brother may live with thee. Thou shalt not give him thy money upon usury, nor lend him thy victuals for increase. I am the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt, to give you the land of Canaan, and to be your God. Well, may God add his blessing to that reading of his precious, inspired, and infallible word. <clears throat> we take up our hymn books again and sing number 65. The Lord is King. Lift up thy voice. O earth and all ye heavens rejoice. From world to world the joy shall ring. The Lord omnipotent is King. Number 65.
we bow in the presence of the eternal king. God is on his throne. He reigns in the heavens. The earth belongs to the Lord and all its inhabitants. Oh Lord, give us a right sense of humility as we come into your presence in this evening hour. Give us to understand your greatness and your glory. Be with us here in the building and if there are those following online, be with them too. And grant that in everything that we do together this evening, we shall bring honor and glory to your holy name. You are God and there is no other. And Lord, we would not know this were it not for your grace and mercy, which you have made known to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, forgive us for the times we forget our Lord Jesus Christ. Forgive us for the times when we go on our own way, in our own strength, as if we can do things ourselves, when we know that he himself told us, without me, you can do nothing. Oh, gracious God, teach us dependence upon you. Teach us to trust you. Teach us to come before you in prayer. As we come to you tonight, we're conscious that we are weak as churches in our land today, that up and down the country there will be small groups of people gathering together, and perhaps in churches where at one time there were large groups of people. And the times have changed and not for the good, Lord. Forgive us that as a people, as Christian people, we have not sought you as we ought to seek you. We have not worshipped you as we ought to worship you. And although we may be in a small minority, that does not mean that we are wrong. Indeed, Lord, we believe that you are God and we want to worship you together tonight. So forgive us for the times when we doubt you and when we fail to trust you and give us in our hearts that desire to serve you better and to follow you more closely. Oh, Holy Father, have mercy upon England, have mercy upon Scotland and Ireland and Wales, have mercy upon East and West Sussex and Kent. Come in the power of your Spirit in our day and break us down and help us to be bowed down before you to pray that you will yet in our day do a great thing and send forth the Holy Spirit in mighty uh, revival power, bringing repentance and faith to life in the hearts of men and women and children who at this very hour have not the slightest thought of you. Oh, Lord, like that great city of Nineveh, we live in a country full of people who do not know their right hand from their left. And were you to judge our nation, we could have no complaint whatsoever. But, oh, Lord, do not judge us. Be merciful to us. Come and work in grace and mercy in our day, we pray. Lord, we pray for your people here. We pray that you would strengthen them in the grace of the Lord Jesus. We pray for those who are not well, for Jackie as she awaits her operation, and Gary and the family be with them and bless them. For others who perhaps would be here, but old age and infirmity keep them away. And for some who are away for a time of rest and holiday, be with them where they are tonight. And grant, Lord, that as a church you will bring your people together here. You will help them in their outreach to the community. And in your mercy, you will bring people into this church and save them and grow your work here for the glory of your name. And we pray it for our own church in Tenterden and indeed for every faithful Christian church in our land. We think of pastors, Lord. We think of men who with their wives have given themselves to the service of God gladly and they rejoice in the service. But oh Lord, how they would long to see people converted and brought into your kingdom. Will you hear their prayers, blessed Father? and strengthen the pastors of our land tonight. Give them the power and the zeal and the endurance 
to serve in their churches and communities, but above all, to serve their Lord and Master with faithfulness and diligence. And oh, bless the preaching of the gospel tonight, we pray, wherever it is done in our land. Oh, Lord, hear us for our nation. And hear us too for our world. Hear us for the world of trouble that we're living in. You told us that we would live through these days that we're now seeing. And, oh, Lord, we, we sometimes hardly know what to say. But we pray for grace to be given and for mercy to be poured out. We pray for peace to come. We pray for evil to be defeated and driven back. And we pray, gracious God, for wise men and women to negotiate a fair and just settlement to these issues. Father, we do not pretend that we understand all the issues, but we can understand evil when we see it. And we believe we're seeing it in our day, and it grieves us greatly. We pray for grace to speak the truth in love into such circumstances. Oh, Lord, when we think of the things that are now being said in our land, being taught in our schools, being enforced in our laws, it breaks our hearts. Oh, Lord, have mercy, we pray, and raise up wise and gifted people in our houses of parliament. Lord, we pray for those in positions of high office, for the prime minister and the cabinet, for the heads of the armed forces and the police, for the lords, and especially for the queen. Be merciful, Lord. Bless them with your presence. Turn them to you if they're not following you. How we thank you for the faithfulness of her majesty and pray that you will draw near to strengthen her in these days of jubilee celebration, that she may be able to take the part that the nation would so wish her to take. So, Hear us as we pray these prayers and draw near to us tonight and help us as we look at your word together to know and love the truth and to rejoice in your mercy. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, let's sing another hymn and then we'll come together around this passage. We're going to sing hymn number 493. 493, far beyond before time, beyond creation's dawn, before the sun and moon and stars were born, salvation's way for sinners lost undone was counseled forth by God, the three in one. <clears throat>
Well, please turn to Leviticus chapter 25. And it's interesting, isn't it, that uh, in this platinum jubilee year of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, we're able to remind ourselves of the biblical origins of jubilee. Um, and the spiritual implications that throw, that throw out, spin out from those origins. Now, this passage in Leviticus 25, the whole chapter uh, is about Sabbaths. Starts off with the Sabbath year, which was every seventh year, and uh, then moves on from there to describe the Jubilee year. And um, it, it it's as well to note that after this, Jubilee is not really mentioned specifically in Scripture, except to point out in many parts of the Old Testament that God's command about Sabbaths is sinfully ignored by his people, the people of Israel. You may have heard of the famous Liberty Bell which is displayed near Independence Hall in Philadelphia, the United States. Uh, it was rung at the end of the Revolutionary War, and it was rung again when the slaves were set free after the Civil War. And on that bell are written the words, some of the words from Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 10, Proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. Now, our English word jubilee comes from the Hebrew word jobel, which is actually used as a description of the ram's horn, which was to be blown for the signal of the start of the jubilee year. It was to be proclaimed every 50th year. So originally, jubilee was only 50 years. Um, the first jubilee in our history as a nation, was the Jubilee of George III. And that was at his 50th year. And then there was a Jubilee for Queen, Elizabeth, for Queen Victoria at her 50th year. But then they chucked in a 25th year one and a 60th year and now a 70th year Jubilee. But the Jubilee originally was a 50-year thing. And, and the way it worked... For Israel, the way God told Israel that when he brought them into the land that he promised them, there was to be this principle of Sabbath observance, this seven-day system, seven-year system, then seven, seven years. And the principle was a day of rest and worship of God, and then a year of rest for the land when the people were to worship God and to trust God that in that year when they didn't plant the land, God would provide enough for them anyway. So the whole point of that, of every Sabbath in a sense, was that they should trust God because you'll remember that they weren't to collect manna on the Sabbath. They could collect more on the, on the day before, but they weren't to do it on the Sabbath. They were to trust the Lord that he would look after the manna for the Sabbath. And when they didn't do it, of course, God didn't look after it. And it rotted and stank and they suffered it. And any of us who've ever tried some stunts like that with looking after things that we haven't really thought about and it goes a bit off on us, we know what it, how difficult it is to get rid of the smell, don't we? And so it was for the people of Israel, they learned a lesson. But the Jubilee year, in a sense, was even more of a challenge because at the Jubilee year, after seven, seven years, there was another year of Sabbath. So they had two years of Sabbath observance, one after the other. And they weren't to plant the land. They weren't to do anything in the land for those two years. And God said to them, you've got to trust me for those two years as well. And so they did, and God provided for them. But soon after they were in the promised land, they began to forget these things. And it's interesting to remind ourselves, next Sunday, I think, is Whit Sunday, if you're old enough to remember that. Um, 
What is Whit Sunday? It's 50 days after the resurrection. Seven sevens and one. There is a sense, and only a sense, I think, because it's not the complete fulfillment, that the coming of the Holy Spirit on that Whit Sunday was a jubilee. The Holy Spirit came as a blessing from God, poured out on the nations. And there was that great harvest, wasn't there? On that first day, that extraordinary harvest of souls on that first day that God provided. Nobody else could have done it. <clears throat> well, let me give you a very brief and totally incomplete, I admit it, survey of some of the priv- provisions of the Jubilee. The first thing we notice is that it's to be proclaimed on the Day of Atonement. Well, that's halfway through the Hebrew year. It was to be proclaimed by the sounding of a ram's horn, which was sounded after the priest had carried out all of his duties of the Day of Atonement, which was the most solemn day in the year for the Hebrew people. It was the day when the priest made a sacrifice for his own sin and then took the sacrificial blood into the holiest place to make a sacrifice on behalf of all the people. It was the day when they were to send out a scapegoat. So if we go back a few verse, a few chapters in Leviticus to chapter 16 and verse 6, we read something about that. And Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. And so we could look at a lot more to do with that, but we're not dealing with the Day of Atonement. We're dealing with the Jubilee. And it was on that solemn day that the the ram's horn was blown and the two years were set in both. The the Jubilee year was set in, uh, in place. Now, what about the Jubilee year? Well, it was to be a second successive year of rest for the people and the land. After seven cycles of Sabbath years, there was to be another year consecrated as if it were a Sabbath year. Two years in succession to be left fallow and for the people to trust God to provide for them because it was a reminder. It was a reminder that God had brought them through the wilderness. And in the wilderness, they'd had to trust him. And he provided for them in all those wilderness years. And they were to remember that by keeping these Sabbath years. And it was to be a year of freedom. Look at verse 13. In the year of this jubilee, you shall return every man unto his possession. Now, people in that 50-year period, for many different reasons, may have had to give up their family property. Everyone that went into the promised land, every Hebrew, was given by God an allotment of land. It was theirs to keep. But it was never really theirs. It was God's. Belonged to God. Now, it was clear that not everybody was a wise person. So God made various provisions to say that the land could be sold in certain circumstances, sometimes because of illness, sometimes because a family didn't have any uh, natural successors and there would have to be a kinsman redeemer to redeem the land from the family for the family. Um, sometimes because of foolishness and sin and people got into debt and had to sell their land and sell themselves into slavery. 
so that they could support their family. And God provided that if they were sold into slavery, they should be treated as a hired hand, not as a slave. They should be paid a wage. So there's a lot of social understanding in the way God is dealing with this. There's a lot of wisdom. God was providing that his people should be looked after in the land, even if they sinned and failed him. God was going to make sure that they were looked after. But then, in an extraordinary display of grace, really, God said that in the 50th year, they were to be given their land back. Even if they'd had to sell themselves into slavery, they were to be given it back because it was the Lord's land and the Lord was going to give it back to them. It had to be restored to them. And any people who had of necessity became slaves were to be set free and given back their land. Uh, And so as you read through the uh, instructions here, which we haven't gone through in any detail, there's a very detailed way in which the price of the land is to be worked out. If, If you've been living on your land for 25 years and you've got to the stage where you've got to sell it, you can only sell 25 years' worth of the land. The last, it's a bit like a leasehold. You can sell the 25 years worth of it, but at the end of that time, once the person who paid for the 25 years worth has had their 25 years, they have to give it back to you. That's the, the Lord's rules, and it's very wise. And, it, you know, it depended on the number of years. And, and say I had got into considerable debt and I had to sell my land, and there were 30 years to go, up until the next jubilee, we would work out the figures and the person who was buying the land would give me the money. Now, say, after another 15 years, my circumstances had changed around and I could afford to buy it back. Then they would have to sell it to me. No argument. And they would have to sell it back to me for the fair price. So uh, they paid me for 30 years. They've only had it for 15 years. Therefore, I have to pay them for 15 years. So it's all fair, it's all above board, it's all absolutely clear, and there's no argument. And that's why the Jubilee was installed. And it's the year of freedom. That's the great thing, isn't it? It's the year of freedom. It's when God, in his blessing, (coughs) comes and sets his people free. Well, what does it mean for us today? Clearly, we're not in the situation of Israel. We don't have a land. We're not God's people in God's land in the sense that they were. So what does it mean for us today? Well, I think the psalmist understood the principle behind Jubilee. I quoted a little from Psalm 24 at the beginning of our service, but let me give you the first two verses. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. There's a principle. Everything belongs to God. He is the true owner of everything. And we hold it as a blessing from him. And for his service. And we will answer to God, as will every person in the world, for the way they have dealt with the possessions that God has given him. And I am always glad to hear that, because sometimes, like I guess many people, I think of people who have been crooked and deceitful, Scammers are doing it all the time, aren't they, in our day? Stealing money, and people tell us they get away with it. But they don't get away with it, because they have to answer to God for what they do, just as we have to answer to God. Dear Matthew Henry puts it like this. These statutes tell us to beware of covetousness. For a man's life consists not in the abundance of his possessions. We are to exercise, <coughs> excuse me, 
exercise willing dependence on God's providence for our support, to consider ourselves the Lord's tenants or stewards, and to use our possessions accordingly. So true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are to be generous and outgoing. There are lots of provisions in the Jubilee for the stranger who is among you, for the person who is in a bad way. You're to care for them. You're to think about them. You're to be merciful and charitable to them. Now, this was something that the Lord Jesus was determined to teach his disciples, and particularly those who were to be apostles. And we're going to turn to a few texts in the Gospel of Matthew to just think of some of the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, First of all, in Matthew chapter 6, the great sermon on the mount that we we perhaps know well. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 27. uh, Verses 27 to 30. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? And why do you take thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not. Neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? So take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. And he's teaching his disciples that put God first. Always put God first. Trust him. Now, In Matthew chapter 19 and verse 27, he says this to Peter. Then answered Peter and said to him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. That's what we saw this morning, wasn't it? They left it all and they followed Jesus. And Peter says to Jesus, Well, we've done that, Lord. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake shall receive a hundredfold, and shall inherit Inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last. And the last shall be first. And then just back a few pages to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 26. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul. You see, it's all leading to a main issue, isn't it? The jubilee was a picture that everything belongs to God, that we are his tenants, and that if people, even if people by their own failings have brought themselves to penury, there is a limit to the pain they must endure. God provides for them to be set free. There is a year of freedom. You know, brothers and sisters, sometimes we think of people around us, and I hate to say this, but it's true of me, so I suspect it's true of you. There are times when I think, well, surely God's not going to save them. But the answer is, yes, he can. And yes, he does. He saves people from the most extraordinary situations and brings them into his kingdom. And the way he does it 
is by bringing people to understand that he is the Lord and they must bow before him. But then secondly, Jubilee was to be a time of freedom for slaves. That lovely verse that we quoted, proclaim liberty throughout all the land. Isn't that a great verse? Yeah, just lovely. You shall hallow the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee to you. You shall return every man into his possession and shall return every man to his family. Isn't that lovely? This is what God wants to do. Can you imagine those broken families? Those damaged families that have been split apart. Sometimes they do it on the television, don't they? They they find these families that got split up and they find someone that they haven't seen for 40 years and they bring them back together. Now, I often wonder what happens after the television program finishes. But the image is right. This is what God does. He sets the solitary in families. He brings them into his family. Now, Jubilee was to be a time of freedom. So where does that help us? Well... If we'd gone a chapter earlier in Luke this morning, we would have been with the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 4 as he went into the synagogue in Nazareth and they handed him the scroll. And this is what he wrote. wrote, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he stopped reading, sat down. He didn't go on to read the part that deals with the judgment of God upon those who've sinned. Because Jesus had not come at that point to judge He says, I have not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He's come to set the prisoners free. And Jesus is the one who sets the prisoners free. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon, flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. How wonderful to know that this is what the Lord Jesus came to do in perhaps the great jubilee. And the Apostle Paul trying to explain all this to the Romans in Romans chapter 6 puts it like this. Romans chapter 6 and verse 20. For when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin (coughs) is death, but the gift of God is eternal through Jesus Christ. And so, Jubilee was a time for freedom. And then, Jubilee is closely linked to redemption. As we look at Leviticus 25, we find that there was a clear provision for the redemption of land and people. Look at verse 23. The land shall not be sold forever. The land is mine. You are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the land of your possession, you shall grant a redemption for the land. If thy brother be waxen poor and hath sold away some of his possessions, and if any of his kin come to redeem it, then shall he redeem that which his brother sold. Now there was a price involved. Um, There was always the possibility, though, that this land could later be redeemed. And then... Later on, in a passage we didn't read, in the end, at the very end of chapter 25, verse 54, we're reading about people who have gone into slavery. And it reads this, And if he be not redeemed in these years, 
Then he shall go out in the year of Jubilee, both he and his children with him. For unto me the children of Israel are servants. They are my servants, whom I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Now, if you go through the chapter, you will find, I think, on three, possibly four occasions, that form of words is used by God to enforce the power of what he is teaching. I am the Lord your God. Don't forget it. Everything belongs to me. You do what I tell you. So there was always this wonderful possibility of redemption, no matter how far down the people had gone. But there was a redemption price. Redemption wasn't free. Redemption had to be paid for. There had to be a just price, as we saw, depending on the number of years. And God's justice demanded a redemption price for his people. And so our Lord Jesus Christ came to be the redeemer of God's people. And the Apostle Peter, in his first letter, chapter 1, explains it like this, verse 18. For as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for you, who do by him believe in God that raised him from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God, redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. What a redeemer. There is a redeemer, Jesus, God's own son, precious lamb of God, Messiah, holy one. And then lastly, we need to remind ourselves that Israel as a nation never entered into the true jubilee rest. They never did. They were disobedient. They didn't do what God told them. And, and when we read the prophets, we find them referring to their abuse of Sabbaths time after time after time. And ultimately they experienced a 70-year jubilee, maybe. There's that seven figure again when they were cast into captivity. But if you, if you actually check the dates, although it was a 70-year captivity, the captivity began 20 years before Jerusalem finally fell under Zedekiah. And so there was 50 years after that until they were sent back to the land. And that was another sort of jubilee that's there in the scriptures. But, you know, even then they never entered the true rest. And do you remember what jubilee was really about, where it came from? I mentioned it quite early on, from the Hebrew word jobel, which was to do with the ram's horn. Or as lots of the versions translate it, trumpet. And we're taught that one day the trumpet will blow, aren't we? And, you know, we, at Easter time we sing Handel's Messiah. The trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And, of course, it's based on Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians in chapter 4. And this is what we read in verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to beat the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another 
with these words. What a wonderful comfort for the people of God in those words that one day those who have gone on before us, we shall be with them again. And we shall see them and they will see us. Now the relationship will, I'm sure, be very different. But we will, I believe we will know each other in those days. Because the Lord will be coming to usher in the final jubilee rest for the people of God. And so in Hebrews chapter 4, this is what we're taught. Verse 9. And it's all about Sabbath again. For there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Therefore let us labor to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. There is a rest. And uh, Paul, or the writer to the Hebrews, has been explaining that that rest which was told to the people of God when Joshua led them into the land, well, it wasn't that because it didn't work. So there is yet one more great Sabbath rest to come. One great jubilee for the people of God when the trumpet shall sound and we shall be forever with the Lord. So as we rejoice in God's goodness to us as a nation in this special jubilee for Her Majesty the Queen, and there's a seven in it, so that's all right. Let's remember that it jubilee talks to the people of God much more powerfully about the promise of God to redeem every one of his elect and to bring them one day into his kingdom. And he's done it by sending Jesus so that now we can sing more happy but not more secure the glorified spirits in heaven. Amen. May God bless his word to us and encourage us together in it. And we're going to sing possibly, no, it's not the only hymn, I know, think of one other, but one of the very few hymns that has the word jubilee in it. So number 460, hymn of William Williams Pantakellen. O'er the gloomy hills of darkness, look, my soul, be still and gaze. All the promises to travel with a glorious day of grace. Blessed Jubilee, let the glorious morning dawn. Number 460. <clears throat>
we've been in multitudes, wouldn't we all kingdom of grace through redemption in our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, hear us and bless us and keep us and go with us now as we go to our homes. May your grace be upon us and mercy and truth from God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In whose name we